All right, all right, all right. We're back, Chainlink Sports. We got a really, really big guest today. One of the most respected coaches um, in baseball, not even in the MLB, but across the world. This guy has uh, reached across the globe here with uh, his coaching expertise and really just a baseball lifer. We got Darren Fenster from the Boston Red Sox. Um, played at Rutgers, All-American, played a few years with the Royals. Now he's in the coaching. He's doing a lot of great things coaching-wise, and we'll get into all that. But, Darren, how you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I wish uh, we didn't have time to connect like this, but this is the reality that uh, the majority of the world is in right now. So, you know, good to, good to be with you and good to talk some baseball here when we don't have baseball actually out on the field. Absolutely. So, yeah, so let's just get right into it. So, like I said, you're a baseball lifer. Um, so talk to me about your years in college and kind of how your playing career in college helped you transition into professional baseball. So, you know, as you mentioned, I played at Rutgers University for a guy by the name of Fred Hill, um, who uh, he was in his uh, 60s, I think, when uh, when I played for him in the, the late 90s. And he was every bit of, you know, that old school type coach who – um, was very fundamentally driven. Uh, there was a lot of accountability. There was a lot of discipline within the program. And, um, you know, uh, I had, a, I think, going into Rutgers before my freshman year, I, you know, I obviously probably had a decent uh, fundamental base of ability, but he was really the one who uh, took that ability and continued to help me grow, but also uh, really helped me learn the game and the little things that, um, that it takes to be successful as a player. And then when all the players are doing all those little things and that's the approach of an entire team, then the team, you know, has no choice but to be successful. And, uh, you know, my playing experience obviously really set not, not just me on a good course as a player, but it, you know, hindsight 2020, it really set the foundation for me as a coach. Right. So you so you broke into a, a professional baseball and then you had a knee injury right that cut your career short yeah so then once that happened kind of talk to me about that and then how you just kind of decided to make the transition from playing to coaching in so in 2000 so i struggled to get out of a ball and i spent parts of three years in um in wilmington in the carolina league and it wasn't until my last year there, which was in 2004, when I really started to put a lot of things together um, as, uh, as a hitter. And, um, you know, I had kind of transitioned from being, uh, you know, a shortstop to second baseman to being a utility player where because my bat came along that last year, I actually turned myself into an everyday utility player, like, like a Ben Zobrist type yeah. where you're playing yeah. every day at a different position each day um, and uh, that 2004 where I finished in double a uh, earned me an invite to major league camp in 2005 and um, that was really the first time when I was playing with and against the guys who I'd been seeing on tv and that I had the confidence that you know I could really do this and with a week left in camp I jumped for a ball came down knee went one way and the leg went the other and I I knew that it was serious. I hoped that it was just like a sprain or something, but uh, you know, the MRI turns out it's a torn ACL. My year is over before it even begins. So uh, at no point did I ever think that that was going to be the end of my career. So I went and had surgery and I was living in Arizona rehabbing the entire year. 
and went back to spring training in 2006 while I was medically cleared. Um, I did not come back the same as I was previous to the injury. And I had thought that the organization was going to give me some time and extended spring training to get back to the, um, the level that I was at previously. And they had other plans and, you know, some guys who were below me kind of passed me on the depth chart and, uh, with uh, a day or two left of spring training, I wound up getting released and it wasn't even really on my radar about, you know, going from that close to being in the big leagues to not having a job. Um, and, uh, you know, it really caught me by, su by surprise. And I went back home in New Jersey and after, um, you know, after speaking with my parents, coach was probably the first person who I called and he then presented me with an opportunity to join his staff uh, basically saying, hey, you know, would you be interested if I created a position for you to be a coach? Because I think you'd be pretty good. And at that point, I had no plan B. I had no interest in anything else. And um, I ju jumped on the staff in April of 2006. Um, and uh, the, the group that was at Rutgers at the time, um, it was highlighted by Todd Frazier, who was a sophomore. But there were, there were probably 10 or 12 other guys who wound up playing professional baseball. And I had a relationship with a lot of them because I would work out there in the offseason so those guys really made me feel like I could have an impact on them as players and as people in the same way that, um, you know, so many others had had an impact on me. And, you know, as they say, you know, that that's what really kind of spurned me into coaching without ever really wanting to be a coach. Um, and, you know, that group uh, in 2006 and 2007 at Rutgers really helped me take to the profession really quickly because of the way that they took to me. Right. And then, so kind of, since like you were still kind of like a young guy, you know, when you kind of got to Rutgers and you, like you said, you kind of knew the guys cause you worked out there, you know, it's your alma mater, but what, what about coaching came easy to you when you first started? And then what were some things that you kind of had to learn and you kind of struggled with at first? I wouldn't say any of it came easy to me in the sense that I didn't think that I was a coach. I thought um, in previous off seasons, just the, the culture that coach Hill had built at Rutgers with guys coming back, you know, every single winter, it was all these guys who were getting ready for spring training, who were coming back from their own professional seasons. And we would just talk about the things that we did in professional baseball that, you know, guys at Rutgers at that level could really um, benefit from. So I really went into coaching with that same sort of mindset of I was still a player in my mind just telling all these guys what I did as a player and what worked. Um, and so, you know, I think it, it really took some time. And when I say time, probably like a year, year plus to really move on from that mindset of I'm a player to all right, I'm a coach. And um, in the process of doing that, you realize that, not everybody sees the game the way that you do. And that's a really, really hard thing because this is, you know, I only had the perspective of a player and the things that came really naturally to me or the parts of the game that I thought were, you know, very, very basic, like what weren't even on a lot of these players radar. And that was a frustrating point for me because I thought it was so easy because it was something that came easy for me. And right. so once I realized that players um, did not view the game in the same lens that I did, it allowed me to, you know, take a step out of my own box and realize, okay, you know, we may have to go back to some of the basic building blocks without assuming that these guys really know everything. And once I was able to do that, I thought that was a big step at the early stages. Yeah. <clears throat> um, 
So you start off at Rutgers and then how did your job at the Red Sox kind of present um, to you? Cause I believe you're the double A manager for a little bit, or you're one of the coaches um, on the double uh, A level. And yeah, I spent, yeah. I spent some time at rookie ball, a ball and double A as a manager. Right. And then now um, I hope I have my facts right. You're the base running coordinator or the infield coach, the, the outfield and base running coordinator for the whole organization. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So like, how has that been kind of, so you, know, you started for Rutgers and then now you've kind of built yourself up to, you know, a pretty prominent role for um, a major league baseball club. What has that been like kind of taking those steps? Well, I, it was really all a progression and not a progression in the sense that, Hey, I want to do a, B and C. It was just um, when I, when I was at Rutgers. So like, just to give you a little bit of a, an understanding of like the, the scope of how, big a major league organization is we probably have 200 people that work in baseball operations in some way shape or form so that goes everywhere from major league coaching staff to minor league coaching staff to to administrators to scouts to um, analysts you know all these guys who are all really working towards the same thing to help our major league team win and so one organization has 200 jobs in college, we had a head coach, we had a full-time assistant, we had a part-time assistant, and we had a director of operations, and we had a volunteer. Um, and the part-time guy and the volunteer were never in the office, so that left three guys, basically, to organize the entire operation from not just the coaching side of things, but also um, the administration, the administrative side, the recruiting side, the academic side, like all these things come together. So when you're coaching in college, you have to do a ton of different things where maybe 25% of the job is, is actually on the field. So the experience of having my hand in so many different elements of a college program really helped me really, it prepared me to dive into professional baseball only having a fraction of that responsibility. Right. Um, and uh, I, my first job was as a hitting coach in A-ball. And I was just so excited to be a, to have a job with the Red Sox. And I didn't think of anything beyond being a hitting coach. And at the end of my first year as a hitting coach, my boss approached me and said, hey, we're going to have a managerial opening in rookie ball next year. And we think you're a good fit for it. Do you want to do it? And I hadn't even thought about it at that point. Um, so I took that and that you know, I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm a rookie ball manager and I just wanted to be the best rookie ball manager I could be. And then a year later I was in a ball and now I'm just trying to be the best a ball manager that I could be. Um, and then the double a job opened up and, you know, at, so, and then, uh, you know, while I was the double a manager, this, this job, the coordinator job was presented to me and none of these jobs did I ever really pursue, but the fact that I didn't worry about my next job and I was so focused on the job that I was doing at hand is what prepared me for that next job. Like I'm, I'm an infielder by trade and I'm yeah. responsible for developing outfielders for the Boston Red Sox, you know, for our entire minor league system. And um, my ability to take that role on is a, is a, is a byproduct of just diving into whatever job that I, had at the time. And even though this one was very much outside of my normal comfort zone, um, knowing that the way that I approached my job for the previous seven years at that point, uh, I think 
made my bosses comfortable with them offering me a position that I wasn't necessarily an expert on, but it's something that, um, you know, has really helped me become even more well-rounded as a coach. Absolutely. Yeah, <clears throat> definitely. So we've established, you know, your kind of career as a coach and because you are so well-known and because you know, you're very highly regarded um, within your own organization and across um, all of um, MLB, did you uh, lose sound there for a second? I think I might have turned off my mic. No, no I'm good. Oh, you're good? Okay. So then now you are a in-demand speaker at conventions and you do speak with coaches and other players. So is there a main point that you try to get across to coaches or is there like a common theme that they might ask you or is it just kind of general knowledge and advice across the board? It, it really depends on um... – the uh, the event um, sometimes I'll go to I'll go to a convention or a coaching clinic, and the, the organizers will ask me to speak about something very specific. Like you know, for instance, I, I did one uh, a few weeks ago for USA Baseball, uh, and they specifically asked me to talk about base running. So I had I put something together on the base running side of things. Sometimes it's um, as specific as the the details of breaking down a double play, and sometimes it's as broad as uh, how to establish culture and leadership within a team. And, uh, you know, I, so a lot of times it's, you know, it's a mix between, um, you know, something that really is in my interest, you know, in, in a certain point in time versus uh, what uh, the, the people who are bringing me in to speak are really uh, interested in learning about. Okay. So final thing I want to ask you, and I know something you're very proud of and something that uh, you're very active with is, you're the founder and CEO of Coach Your Kids. So I want you to kind of tell me what that's all about um, and then why it's important to you and why you uh, started that. Coaching Your Kids is, um, is, is basically like an, an initiative that was born out of social media in the sense that um, probably in 2013, I had just joined Twitter and I was not you know, really into social media. And I, I still to this day, I don't have Instagram. I don't have Facebook. Um, but I saw a lot of people on the baseball side of things who had really big followings who were basically building their brand. They didn't work for a team. Some of them had good information, but, um, you know, they were putting, pushing out like their beliefs on say hitting or, or pitching or whatever. And they were, um, in the process of them trying to build their brand and stick out to sound smarter than everybody else, um, they refused to be challenged in the sense of having a constructive discussion about two opposing views. And they would just, you know, downgrade something that made them look like their way wasn't the best way or it wasn't the only way. And that really frustrated me in the sense of, for instance, if there was a pitcher and somebody's out there saying that, Hey, I'm going to make you, I'm going to help you throw 90 or 95. And if you can't throw 90 miles an hour, you're never going to play at the next level. Right. So I just, I just envisioned, uh, you know, a kid who might've been in high school who could only throw 82 miles an hour reading that thinking that, Oh man, like I have no future in this game and that couldn't be further from the truth. Does, it, does that mean that the kid, you, you know, that everybody's going to be a big leaguer? Of course not. But there are so many different levels of the game and there are so many different ways to be successful that the idea that one way is the only way um, was, was a complete fa fallacy and it really bugged me. And so I started challenging these people. And then I realized at that point I had 
worn a number of different hats from the things that I accomplished as a player in college and professionally to, um, you know, being a college recruiter to being a, a professional hitting coach to being a professional manager and now being a coordinator. I had a perspective that um, with so many different hats that I felt like I could just share my experiences and just be very straightforward with pushing content about every side of the game on how many different ways um, people could be successful. And I think um, just on a very grassroots level, um, people appreciated that. And the fact that, you know, generally speaking, I didn't, um, you know, look down upon people who disagreed with me in a respectful way. And, um, you know, I also started really just writing a lot of articles and being involved with a handful of blogs. And um, in the process of doing that, just my following kind of grew organically. And then all of a sudden these different organizations start picking up on my blog and they asked me to do some other things. And so um, that kind of opened up other opportunities to work with organizations, whether it be to work with, um, you know, a, a private organization's coaches or to actually run some sort of a, a class or a clinic with some of its players, whatever it is. But, um, you know, all this has been stemmed from uh, the, the idea that there are a lot of ways to be really, really good in this game. And I'm just trying to expose everybody to um, the idea that, hey, you know, uh, just because you might not be gifted in one area doesn't mean that you can't have a career or a life in the game. Right. And, and, and you guys have also traveled overseas to run camps and clinics too. So how, how did that come about and what was that uh, whole experience like? So, uh, you know, I'm fascinated by international baseball where, you know, you might be in um, a country where you don't speak a lick of the native language, but you have this common connection with the people uh, of this this game and this bait this you know this baseball and um, when they see the energy that you have in teaching the game and is helping other other players you know you can speak I call it speaking the language of baseball and yeah uh, you know you don't need to be able to necessarily you know actually use words but you know the body language I think really helps helps connect so um, you know I've been fortunate to go to Taiwan uh, each of the last uh, seven years to run a camp for the country's top 40 players with a couple other guys from the U.S. Um, I've done some stuff in Sweden. I've been to the Dominican. Uh, I've been to Canada. Uh, I ran a coaching clinic in Kuwait, of all places, for the uh, the country's only Little League. Uh, so it's been, uh, it's been a really cool experience that um, has allowed me to not only just share what I've learned over the years, but also you know, it's, it's, it's forced me to cater to a number of different types of players and coaches where, you know, with the Red Sox, I'm working with the best players in the world. Um, when I go to some of these events, you're talking about, you know, for instance, in Kuwait, where sometimes kids don't even have gloves. So you're teaching the very, the building blocks, the, the foundational skills of the game, and you have to figure out a way to, 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 get to that group in the same way that you're able to impact, you know, the, the other levels that, that you teach. So um, those experiences have really allowed me to learn how to adapt um, to, to the audience with respect to presenting a message in a way that that audience can, can grasp it and take something home with them where it's not like, Hey, you know, when I'm there for three, four or five days, whatever it is, they get better, but then I leave and nothing sticks. Um, it's very much, um, 
you know, planting seeds so that after I leave, you know, they could take whatever it is that we, we discussed over the course of the, that time, um, you know, for, for years to come. Awesome. Yeah. And it's definitely a great thing you're doing. And anybody who's listening to this and, you know, wants to know more, Darren, you're on Twitter and what's your Twitter handle at Darren Fenster at Darren underscore Fenster at coach your kids, coach your kids. And then you also have a website. So check him out, coach your kids. You, you know, you can learn all about it, Darren, you're doing great things. And, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Yep. Thanks, man. Signing off.